several weeks ago, we started 1 Corinthians 14, and we talked all about the gifts. We talk about the, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. These were the, the two gifts that this church, specifically the Corinthian church, and I do want to say that it's it's difficult with the internet to try to figure out certain things um, that you should be able to get some information and intel on. I've read people say anywhere for from seven fellowships in the city of Corinth all the way down to three fellowships. And so we'll take the average. We'll take five. There's a lot of people who say there was probably about five. These churches back then were home churches. So they met in homes. They didn't have buildings like this. They didn't have, um, I mean, real estate in the church became a thing way after this, uh, way after the first century church. So those house churches, there was one specific that Paul started. And so some of their elders, and it was a larger church for a house church, um, but they had enough issues going on that they wrote Paul a letter and said, please give us direction on these things. Why? For many reasons. Number one, they didn't have the canon of scripture. None, none of the people in that church would have had anything close to what you and I have in our hands and on our phones. Um, and our brothers and sisters in China don't have that. They don't, they, they, Bible apps are illegal in their internet. So you can't get in some places, these Christians in China to this day, just know the scriptures in their head. Very, very, it's, it's a, it's a convicting thing and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but they know their government and they know that their government, if they do get their hands on a Bible, many of them are prosecuted and sometimes even killed just for having the word. But these guys didn't have the word yet. Many books weren't even written yet. So they're like, Paul, what should we do about this? And so he writes back, and in the middle of the, the letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians, we, we covered that this last summer. But this last part of 14, a very long chapter, 1 Corinthians for a letter has very long chapters, some of them very long for such a short letter in the scheme of things. But the, the word church, I want to talk about the word church for a second. We're restoring order in the church. The word church Ecclesia, that word means the body, the assembly of Christ's followers. It has nothing to do with real estate. It has nothing to do with brick and mortar, where you meet. It's it's the group of people. And when Christians fellowship, they choose a physical location, obviously. And so in their day, houses made the most sense because it is, you know, it's expensive, as you guys know, to go buy a building for a church. And so this church was a group of people that met in a home, very disorderly, very out of line. Just a few of the issues that he's dealt with and not limited to. Claims of spiritual superiority or, or, or one another. Uh, divisions of which pastor or teacher to listen to. Suing one another in the open public courts. Christians, suing Christians in the open courts. Abusing the communal meal, potluck, if you will sexual immorality, misuse of spiritual gifts, and more. There were a lot of things going on. And you can understand with a church that had Paul gone for this period of time that some of the earth, I mean, they lived in a very wicked city. Some of that stuff would just leak back in naturally. It's just, if you don't have God's word, and if you're not preaching God's word, and if you're not praying and, and staying close to Jesus, how far you drift will blow you away if you watch yourself over the years. And so that's what had happened in some, some ways, shapes, and forms. So some of these issues <clears throat> are what prompted him to pick out these two spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy. 
Um, and we talked about that at length in the last two um, early, uh, all the way from early December to late December. So verse 26 He says, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, which is a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Paul's main concern is that no matter what is done, no matter what is said, no matter what is sung, that it builds up everybody, that every person that walks in has the ability to benefit from it. Now, if it does not benefit the body, then be silent. That's what he says, <clears throat> because he says it over and over again. His main concern was to edify and build up the church. If you're going to have free participation in a church meeting, they called them meetings. He called it a meeting. We call it service, but it's kind of the same thing. If you're going to have free participation in a church service, then let the rule of love govern so that there is no ego, no hurt feelings, but that everything is done with agape love for the strengthening of the church. <clears throat> now, there's so much that I want to say on this and so much that I want to say before we even get into the rest of it. But have you ever been to a church meeting or maybe something more like what, what we would label a Bible study where it's just like free form, like, hey, spirit led, spirit led. Um, I, I, I used to work at a pizza place in Chicago, real shocker, deep dish <clears throat> when I was 18 and the the guy that owned it was a uh, Iowa uh, Hayden and Fry uh, defensive lineman. He they they played in the Rose Bowl. He was a very well known guy, and you know like many uh, people after football does something that his name can help. And so the pizza place was famous instantly because our little town's famous uh, defensive lineman was starting a pizza place. <clears throat> and I remember him. I, I I worked for him a while, and the the most shocking thing that I found out was that he was Christian. That was the most shocking thing that he told me at some point along the way. And I said, well, how come you don't go to church? And he goes, well, I have a lot of issues with church. And I said, well, what are they? And he goes, well, he goes, today you have all this high church. You have all this very boring, the bishops and the priests and the clothes and the robes and the pulpits off center up in the air and the pipe organs and stuff. He goes, my parents go to a place called Bethany Chapel, and it's just a spirit led deal start to finish. He goes, sometimes it's a little weird. Sometimes it goes three and a half hours, which in our town, if a church went 76 minutes and not 75, people complained. People wrote stuff in the, in the agape box. They're like, hey, I had a lunch to get to. I had to get to Chili's and I had to wait an extra minute because I time it perfect to where I'm the first guy at the door. If that's your concern, I think you missed the point of church. And there was a lot of that in my town. I, I will say there was a lot of church was sort of like fifth on the list. Um, and, and with most people in America, it's not number one. That's just how we, it is in our day in a, uh, post, I don't even know what you want to call it. Post eighties world. Like after the eighties, once, once people became super wealthy and, and America has a lot of wealth, um, churches that was specifically big, huge, wealthy churches. When you watch the people watch at the end of the service, watch how fast they bail out. And watch how fast they 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 go to their favorite lunch place. Like it's not really about the fellowship, the koinonia, the the hey, I want to like know my brothers and sisters. It's like this parking lot's too big. We got to get out before final prayer. That's what it is. I'm being honest with you. That's how. I mean, at Willow Creek, one of the biggest mega churches of the '80s in Chicagoland, there was like 50 cops every single service just to facilitate the traffic of that church. 10,000 people in 1988. So 
before megachurches were even a thing. Nobody even knew that term back then. But I, I got to tell you, they they ran that thing like a Hollywood production, and it was done every single week at the exact same minute as the week before. Never, ever fail. So it wasn't this free participation thing. It wasn't um, you know, that, that he was really objecting to, he was just objecting to like how people are when you go into a spirit led deal, he goes, that to me is real. But I'm like, well, if it's real, then why don't you go? And he's like, I'm not really that. And I'm like, okay. So whether you're into high church or free participation church, you're just not into it. And he, and he was a pretty wild kid. Um, he was, I mean, he was a very young man when this was happening, but if you're going to have that, this church had free participation. It was not like, hey, we have a guy who teaches the Bible. Why? Because we don't got a Bible. We don't have, we have Paul's letters. We have some of the gospels. We have some of the words from the apostles. We have some of the Old Testament, but we know the new covenant is the new covenant. And we're like a couple of years, I mean, they're, they're not even two decades out of Christ. So it's, the church was in very much transition. And this is a far, this is far away from Jerusalem. This is in Corinth. This is in what we would call Greece. So You've got people from all walks of life. You've got people who have all sorts of gifts and they just kind of like free form, like, Hey, tongues, let's go like everybody at once. And Paul's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. You guys have to understand if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three each in turn and let one interpret. Why? Because things get weird when 15 people speak at once out of 16. It's very weird. It's just weird. I, I don't know how else to put it. When a person walks in off the street and they've never been to the church and 15 out of 16 are speaking in tongues, there's one that they can see that's left out and they're clearly left out. And it's like, well, I guess I don't belong here. I don't have that gift. Well, maybe you're not going to stay long enough to find out if you would have that gift because you're not saved yet and you don't have a spiritual gift. Those that are saved do have one, but not everyone can speak in a church meeting and not everyone can just randomly speak in tongues. Paul says, if anyone does, let it at most be three people, two or three people. But there needs to be interpretation. If not, they should keep silent and practice the gift individually toward God. That gift is for you to praise God, and it's supposed to edify you as you lift up God. It's a beautiful thing. It's not always for the public. And I would say, in, in, unless you have an interpreter ready who has that clear gift of interpretation, I, like Paul, would say, hey, just keep it, keep it to silence for that specific gift. He says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Uh, verse 28, excuse me, uh, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. This is an interesting uh, thing to kind of um, to say basically the exact same thing about these two gifts that are very different gifts. Two or three could speak at each service and they would have people that could discern or filter it out to make sure it was from God. <clears throat> it's a huge responsibility and a very needed gift. There are many people in the Christian community that lack discernment. I would say right now, discernment seems to be at an all-time low from what I have seen. And it's because people don't, I don't think people give the right kind of stock in that gift. I think there's certain people who go, oh, I'm a discernment ministry person. And so they just go out and judge and, and themselves discern things they're not really a part of. And it's sort of like they become cops on some level. And I know it's, it's a little funny sometimes when you, oh, well, we're here to, to decide whether or not this church is preaching God's word. <laughs> well, we're reading God's word. So is that okay? Well, we'll decide. 
who are you? We, we just met you. You walked through the front door. That There's a lot of that out there. And I don't mean that people just walk in the front door, but there's a lot of these discernment ministries. And there are some that are from God. And there are some that judge certain things. There are some people who um, are so tickled by the humor and the funniness and the cleverness and the slickness of some of these internet preachers. Okay, there's a lot of them. There's one in Atlanta that preaches as a hologram. He's not there. He's a hologram. Okay, very, very, very famous person. And there's a lot of things that he says that need to be filtered. You wouldn't think so from the dad that he had in the ministry for 55 or 65 years. But the things, some of the things he says, they're just not godly. You hear him say things, you're like, that is opposite scripture. And it's very strange because there's other things that he says and you're like, wow. And he's clearly got a gift. There's no doubt about it. He definitely has the gift of public speaking. There's no doubt about that. Question is, how discerning is he? And his church is, who knows, 15, 25,000 people, something like that. Um, and it's not like Atlanta has been small or not growing for the past 30 years. So it's just more and more and more. And I know people that go to that church. Um, so this idea of discernment, this idea of, you know, let two or three speak. But verse 30, if, if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So there's a lot, there's a lot to this. David Lowry, who wrote an awesome commentary to this letter, says, a prophet might have received a revelation, maybe in a vision or dream sometime prior to the church meeting. However, a prophet might also experience a revelation during the church service. If this occurred, a prophet in the midst of speaking should draw his message to a close and let the other gifted members speak. He says, whatever the Corinthian services were, they were not dull. I mean, that is like, if you read this book, you're like, that is a crazy group of Christians. And yes, they, I read their list of sins. They're not, that's, we're not proud of reading that, that that was present, that these types of things were present in this church. But it's, it's the idea of giving way. It's the idea of no ego. It's the idea of if I am doing something and a guy raises his hand in this context, in, this, in these meetings, it wasn't a formatted church service. So it's kind of like, hey, let's get together and just see what God will do. See what God will say. More like a Bible study, I would say. Or more like, like an intercessory prayer, like waiting on God, fasting type of a thing. A little bit more like that I could see. So somebody starts talking and going, God told me last week that we need to do this ministry and that ministry. And some guy goes, God's saying something to me right now. And he goes, oh, brother, please. That's no ego. That's, well, I was talking, but God's saying something right now. Don't you want the newspaper from today, not three weeks ago's newspaper? Like, that's kind of how it is. That's, it's not that that's not important. It's that God is speaking right this minute, and he's probably overriding something that happened three weeks back in this sense. I mean, that's what Paul's saying here. <clears throat> For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let no one ever say that, that spirituality or following Jesus is super confusing. That's not the word you use. It may be difficult. It may be sometimes really, really, really painful. It may be God's taken me on a really tough journey right now, but it is not confusing. God is not confusing. 
If you were like, hey, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I don't know if he wants me to work here or work there. Okay, that's fine. That's a choice. And maybe God's actually telling you right now, I don't actually have a preference. I want you to choose. I want you to understand what it's like to go through that process. I've told you guys uh, over the past few years, many times that 20 years ago, I was living in Chicago and I was a pastor, uh, interim pastor of a college ministry at a nice church, uh, my home church growing up. I was super comfortable there. I was making a lot of money as a mortgage broker coming out of 9-11, like a lot of mortgage brokers were born and there was a lot of money to be made in that business and rates were going uh, for the first time ever from eight down to five in that period of that for 01 to 03. And I was making all this money and I had a really nice house, my dream house in a sense. And I felt like God was calling me to Arizona. I had always wanted to go to Arizona and I, I had moved there for a period of time years back and always felt like it was incomplete. Always felt like I needed to get back. Always felt like he wanted me there ultimately, <clears throat> which in hindsight, he has. But I was like so conflicted and I would pray at night and I just would, I would feel like black, like space. I would feel like nothing. I was like, God, you have to tell me where you want me. You have to. And I, I got to the point where I was like my boss, Rob, the student ministries guy. I said, Rob, I don't know. And he goes, here's the problem. You're an interim pastor and I don't know if we're going to hire you or hire somebody else, but we need tons of time to hire somebody else if it's not you. So you have to make a decision in the next 30 days. And I was like, is that from God? Are you a prophet? <laughs> um, kind of feel, it felt like to me, very wrong for him to say that. In the end, it was very right. And I felt like God was actually giving me a choice. I had struggled with this sovereignty of God thing, this Calvinism thing that I had come out of Bible college with. Like, God, if you make one wrong move along the way, he will smite you. He will hose you. You will be done. That's how I felt. I'm being honest with you. And I was like, I feel like God's given me the choice. And when given the choice, comfort does play a role. If I was not comfortable... If I was not making very much money, I would have run to Arizona months before that. But I was like, I'm going to go take a pay cut of less, of more than a third to go be a full-time youth pastor in Chandler, Arizona, which is where I met Shannon. So greatest choice of all time. However, when you don't know that that's down the road, you're like, eh, I was making a lot of money. And I had my dream house in the town across the street from the oldest golf club in the United States. I just, it was very, very, it was a very comforting life that I lived. But at the same time, I, I was, I was being stirred for something. So I wouldn't call it confusion from God. I would say that God wasn't speaking. Go to Arizona, Ona, Ona. It wasn't that. It was, it was God going, hey, do you love Arizona? I'm doing something. There's unknowns out there. Let's say that. Everything's known here. You stay here. You're hooked up. You're going to work at this church till you're dead because that's what guys did. Guys never really left that church and it was comfortable and it was nice and they paid well. It was a very, 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 would have been a very easy life. But I was like, well, I want something a little wilder than that. Well, what's wilder than Arizona? Nothing. What's wilder than Tucson? Tucson was like moving to the jungle after I lived in Chandler or Gilbert. It was like, this place is, Chandler is not the wild west. This town is the wild west. And so, yeah, it took a while. It took a real while. I used to drive around Midtown to avoid it because I was scared of it. And God's like, hmm, that's interesting. You, you avoid Grant and Alvaron? Hmm. I wonder what we'll do with you, with Grant and Alvaron. I could spit and hit it. 
So he's saying, and this, this is a little confusing, these three verses, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So you can have a couple of guys doing this in the church service, but the next verse is key. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 32, um, I love how the New Living Translation uh, puts it. Um, I don't have time to read it right now, but if you do have a New Living, um, it's, it, it's, it's more of a thought for thought on that. But the point is, no church is supposed to be a place for self-glorification, where the worship leader is just a rock star and no one ever talks to him. And people come up each week and go, you're the best. You're so great. Oh, man, that I could sing like you. And just, you know, no pastor is supposed to be worshipped or famous. Like, I know that there's fame because of the Internet. But like a pastor that's like, I want to be a pastor because I want to be a rock star. That's not probably the word pastor, if you really break it down. The word is shepherd, and most shepherds are the opposite of a rock star. They certainly were in this first century. I mean, they were like they were like nothing. They were like lower than, if, if a janitor is low in our society, they're about four steps below that. So that's not how, like people aren't called to ministry to elevate themselves, to puff themselves up, to become comfortable, to become rock stars. That's not, now if it happens and God gives you a platform like Billy Graham, great. Billy Graham used his platform for God. Um, Billy Graham, I've seen pictures, was on Air Force One like 10 times with 10 different presidents, all the way down till Obama, until he got super, super old. I mean, he knew, like, a lot of us were like, man, that wouldn't be the worst ministry in the world, hanging out at the White House all the time. But, But Billy Graham, early on, he grinded it out. I mean, he really did in the 50s and the 60s. So... <clears throat> The goal was to hear from God, and however God chose to do it would have order, not disorder, not confusion, not, hey, be quiet, I want to talk. I have something from God, and you're like sinning as you're doing it. Like, that's not the sentiment here. That's not the heart here, obviously. So Paul did try to keep the prophets in line as well as those gifted with tongues. He tried because these gifts, if you think about why he used them, tongues people like for people who don't have tongues, it's kind of like, wow, they have that amazing, they can speak an unknown language and I can't. We know they're saved, right? Sometimes. And then prophets, oh, he speaks for God. None of us do. Okay, but at the same time, Jesus, like, Jesus taught the majority of the time. Jesus, yes, Jesus healed people, but he was teaching and preaching. He was proclaiming. He wasn't doing weird stuff. He wasn't trying to be weird. He wasn't just like all of a sudden just throwing out some weird language because he could do it on the spot. He was trying to bring people closer to God. And that usually is by relationship and preaching, proclaiming God's goodness, proclaiming God's gospel. That's what Jesus did the majority of his time. He hung out with sinners. He preached to them. He taught them. And he gave them the option to choose freedom, to choose to listen to his words and to change. Verse 34 through 36 is back to the um, back to headship and back to women in church. Uh, some of the things that were going on, I'll read it in a second. Uh, verses 34 through 36. Let your women keep silent in the churches. For the- <laughs> that will be edited out. Um, for... Um, let your women keep silence, silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. 
And if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally to you? Or was it you only that it reached? Now, there's a few things. I don't have tons of time because we, we did an entire service or an entire sermon on this. <clears throat> and we'll get to this in, a, in, a, in just a second. But the, the culture says you're supposed to feel icky when you hear that. That's what, the, that's what outside of these walls, the world tells you that's the most offensive thing you could ever say. Maybe if you said something racist, it's on par. But there is context to it, but that's, the context is not to make you feel like, oh, the Bible's not really saying there's headship. Oh, the Bible's not really saying there's roles. There are roles. There absolutely are roles. God made man to lead the church and to teach and to preach. That does not change throughout this book, throughout any of the letters. It's true. But at the same time, there was stuff going on. I'm going to read a commentary thing that that um, David Lauer, who really looked into this specific culture, this specific church, but headship is there's responsibilities and there's roles. We don't apologize for it. We don't apologize to the to the people outside that go, hey, we could probably like endorse your church if you'd say a little less offensive stuff and delete those three verses out of this. The rest of it's fine. Well, guess what? <clears throat> there was <clears throat> and there have been many. I've heard tons of guys talk about this that the women sat on one side and the men sat on another. And so as people are uh, either maybe doing tongues, maybe, maybe, maybe speaking a prophecy, that the women are, who are married are going, hey, Tom, what's that mean? What's he saying? Like while the guy's trying to preach. And so it's like, it's interruption after interruption. We can't get anywhere. So he's saying, hey, have him keep silent. Ask the question at home. There's certain stuff for home and there's certain stuff for the service, period. Just there's, there's no apologies there. But I want to read... Um, David Lowry's uh, commentary on this, because it's, 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 a, it's a little bit more in-depth. <clears throat> he says, two indications strongly suggest that married women were in view here in this specific reference to a woman, to a woman. It always refers to a married woman who was to be subject to her husband, obviously not a, a single woman to be subjected to some random guy. Secondly, the phrase, their own husbands, whom the inquisitive women were to consult if they had questions, this would be obviously difficult uh, to assign this to a single woman or those with unbelieving husbands. Because the men were supposed to. There's a lot of problems, guys, with our society and men. Truckloads. So say amen. Amen. (laughs) Not you. Her. There's a lot of problems. Men are disorderly. The The whole chapter's on order. It's, it's order in the church. Are men doing what they should be doing? I would say largely in America, no. I'm not talking about secular men. I'm talking about men that say. Now, once again, 70 out of 100 people say they're Christian. It's a little skewed. Um, that number is really much, much, much lower. Maybe as low as uh, 6 to 8%. The actual, like, Bible-minded people who go, hey, uh, do you believe all the Bible?" Okay, yes, I'm going to read this, this, and they read offensive, the most offensive things to them. They go, I absolutely believe that. Okay, you're a Bible-minded person. Six to eight out of 100 Americans, so not 70. But of the 70 out of 100 that say that they're Christians, <clears throat> and maybe that's Catholic and, and a few other things thrown in there too, where the Word of God is not emphasized as much, you've got men super disorderly. And I, I don't even want to give examples in this church of people that used to go here that would say stuff to me. And I'm like, well, I think I know why that things are going bad right now. And you say it as nice as Jesus could say it. And they get offended and leave. 
one of the number one problems with this society, this self-centered society, is social media is all about self. It makes people focus more on their self than more on their neighbor, more on their self than more on their kids, more on their self than their spouse. I mean, I can go on and on and on. This is where the rubber meets the road. When someone comes to you who loves you, who goes to church with you and says something, hey, whatever it is, it's a confrontation of something. Hey, I, I saw you out the other day at somewhere that you probably shouldn't have been, you know, how dare you? Were you following me? No, but I'm glad that I was because you shouldn't be going into that place. Period. And that's, I'm, that's, a, that's as generalized and almost everybody agrees on that. And what's the response? Not, a, not, not crying, not, not repentance, not, oh, man, I'm so struggling with, with that, going to those places. Not that. It's how dare you curse you and get out. And they never come back to church. You go to church. You're not the pastor. You're just a brother or sister in the church that's concerned about their pruning and growing and all that. And that's what you get is you get a cuss and they leave. The offendedness in the church today, and I actually mean the church, I mean people who go to church, it's too high. It's just too high. So we, we're not allowed to say stuff so people don't get any better. We're not allowed to talk about anything really so people don't get any better. So you read something like this and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to hear. How dare Paul say that? He's not saying women are horrible. He's saying when they're interrupting a guy who's preaching, probably ask your wife to ask the question after. Is that keep silent doesn't mean shut up. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, but practically it does. And at the same time, if guys are doing the same thing, if guys are distracting, shut up. You know, like keep silent. You could say it a nicer way, right? So he is like, he's not trying to beat the women up. He's saying, hey, and, and that's what David Lowry was saying. Is, we're talking about married women. We're talking about married women that are sitting over here, don't understand it, but their husbands do. And it's like, you could ask that question at home. You could ask that question later on. You don't have to interrupt the church service. When we have people, I haven't had a lot. I had, years ago, I had a guy who would, who would say so much. We're not, a, we're not a church where everybody says amen every 15 seconds. We're not that church. So it's okay. Some amens are okay. However, this person said lots more than that. And it was so distracting. It would, it would uh, like, you have kind of a rhythmic way you speak. And he would like, it would like, it would like throw me off like a bad drummer. And so I, I simply, I said, Hey bro, I love you to death. I really do. But some of the commentary, uh, sentences, amen, that's the right thing. Like amens quicker and quieter, less words. I, I came up to him and I just said, hey, I really love that you're coming here. He'd be coming like, I don't know, seven weeks-ish. <clears throat> Great guy. I met him uh, for breakfast um, like two weeks before. And, and he, goes, uh, he goes, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Never saw him again. Never had, he didn't have a phone number. He was not homeless, but kind of in transition. So didn't have a cell phone. Never saw him again. If, if a pastor of the church who's actually speaking out loud comes to you, like, I hate that stuff. Says, hey, is there any way you can just kind of keep it down? Like, it's really hard for me when I get interrupted on every other sentence. I started, I started saying things less preachy. I started altering the last two weeks how I would say stuff to like not give him an entrance. That's how bad it was. 
Hey, Paul would say, hey, bro, shut up. That's what he would say. But he would go, hey, sir, keep silent. Tell that man to keep silent. That's what he'd say. So it's not a singling out women. It's not a singling out men. It's just, hey, if somebody's doing this, there's a better place for like, hey, let me explain it to you. Then the meeting of the week for 60 minutes to interrupt it constantly. Uh, Versus uh, uh, 37. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Once again, the challenge of the apostolic authority, which was going on in the early part of this book. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, Brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So much in there, we don't have tons of time to to finish it. But Paul's heart here is to give them the freedom to operate in their meeting with the spiritual gifts, plural. All of them. Tongues too, even though tongues can get weird. Absolutely don't stop if that's what's going on and you you have the interpreter there. If you don't have it, don't do it. Um, he wanted them to understand that they could freely do it, but at the same time, his words matter. His words were from God. He's not a prophet. He's an apostle. And I don't mean like the apostles of today, like people that walk around and go, I'm an apostle. Sent out by Jesus. That's who I'm talking about. The, the original apostles, the ones that have chairs in heaven, like the tribes. There's 24. This guy, well, I believe, was the 12th apostle after Judas bailed out. That's what I believe. Um, I know they, they, that they picked straws and Matthias one, but I don't hear a ton about Matthias's letters. So just so you know, uh, Paul wrote a whole lot and really, really, really the stuff we really need in terms of like the church needs the letters that Paul wrote badly. So he's saying, guys, do what you do. Don't tell people because things got weird that if they have tongues, if we're never doing it again, don't tell them that. Don't tell the prophets, hey, shut up. You guys are weird. Just use it in orderly fashion. God is a God of order. He is not a God of disorder. A couple things just um, in in closing it. Once something that started orderly becomes disorderly, it's very hard to rein it back in. You guys know this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Kindergarten Cop. (laughs) Like, so Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, <clears throat> he's, I think he's an FBI agent or something. And he um, is trying to infiltrate this little boy's dad, who's a bad guy. <clears throat> and so they're like, you're going to be a kindergarten teacher because I think that his partner got hurt. <clears throat> and so the only thing he does is like, he, he only knows military. So he's got these, he's got them on a whistle. He's like, be quiet. And they're all, at the end, they're all just, it's like perfect. They're like wild. And then he flips his lid and like lays down the law and they're like perfect. Now, if he leaves and a new teacher comes in and, and the, the kids see that they can get away with stuff, the, or, the disorder's back in three seconds, I guarantee it. That's kind of how it is with church. <clears throat> That's kind of how it is with, with a Christian community. If everybody else just goes, hey, it's okay to do whatever. It's okay to start, to, like, if we just started being like, hey, all the First Corinthians, the, the sins, because Paul doesn't like tell them they're going to hell. It's all, it's all good if we just start doing all these things. It's a train wreck in two seconds. Once you lose the order, it's impossible to rein it in. But once again, you know, when you have order 
and you, or you you have the appearance of order because we are much more uh, cleaner. Like like people don't uh, they don't like to speak in public these days. People don't want to be they don't want to be like singled out. They're kind of quieter than maybe they were in this day and age. <clears throat> when you have um, people that are coming to church and they're like, well, as long as it's cool, I'm in. But a second there's some rough water, they bail out. It's like, well, what do you really have? You don't really have order. You have the appearance of order. Because order is also people being able to hear the truth from a friend. Wouldn't you rather hear it from a friend than an officer of the law? It's a joke. Um, But amen. Um, Secondly, specifically in the church, when there is this much disorder, hard teaching and tough love are the only way to get the point across, which is what Paul is doing here. He loves them more than anybody loves them. But does... Do some of these verses not make it into the popular sermons in the very large, funny, funny evangelical churches? Yes. The ones with the holograms and the ones with the with the uh, internet, you know, the, the smoke and the rock star lights and all that stuff. You'd be hard pressed to find 1 Corinthians 14 in its entirety preached all the way through because it's offensive to people. And we can't let the Bible offend people. That's oxymoronic. It needs to. It needs to stop someone who's going down this street. It needs to stop them in their tracks. That's what the Bible does because everything else they're listening to the world. And the, the only thing that, that speaks differently is God's word. It's the only thing that has never changed. Everything else has changed in our lives. Everything. Discipline derives from love. Never forget that. Discipline does not derive from hate. Discipline derives from love. Paul started this church. He loved this church. Lastly, the issue for the Corinthian church and for ours is always the heart, always comes back to humanity's heart. When we are told difficult things, do we harden our hearts toward God? Or do we soften our hearts toward God and allow God's teaching and direction to change us and prune us and make us more like God, make us more like Christ? That is the goal of of the Christian walk, is to get me and you closer to Jesus but closer to looking like Jesus. That's what it really is about. And church is a help to that. The fellowship is, is much more than a worship service. It's the, it's the fellowship of, of the communal meal, the service projects, the, hey, let's go to breakfast. Let's talk. Like being in each other's lives. Amen? I'm way, way over. Sorry. Um, Father God, we thank you for uh, this chapter, um, though it is uh, sometimes really hard to, to read these things and, and because it just sounds so opposite to what our world tells us. Uh, God, we know that's how it's true north. We know that's how it's truth um, because everything out outside of these walls tells us confusion, tells us uh, anything goes, is anarchy. It's just, it's wild. And you are not. God, you are restrained and powerful and orderly. God, help us to live in order in Jesus' name. Amen.